I love all four of the gospel accounts. And if you ask me to give a favorite, I would probably say John. But I love them all because they all speak differently. They all give us a, a different picture of who God is. And they're all speaking in specific to a different group of people. You know, Matthew is speaking to the religious man. He's speaking to the Jewish man. He's speaking to, because Matthew presents Christ as king. Amen? He is king of kings and lord of lords. Thank God for that. Now, Mark, as, as I'm sure these guys that have preached before me have stated, Mark is speaking to the Roman. He's speaking to the strong man. He's speaking to the man who doesn't care about religion, doesn't care about the Lord's genealogy, not interested in that he was a Jew, born there in Bethlehem, that he grew up in Nazareth. The Roman didn't care about that. But it, it is striking that God presents to the Roman, to the strong man, the idea that Christ is God in human flesh, but he's all, He also came to serve. He's a servant. That's, the, that's a concurrent theme throughout the Gospel of Mark is that He is a servant. But it also, the Gospel of Mark also focuses on the aspect that, uh, of His miracles. Have you noticed how often you see the word, the little word and in the Gospel of Mark? Somebody, not me, I won't take credit for it, somebody took the time to count all the times that and is used in the Gospel of Mark. Guess how many? 1,331 times in 16 chapters we see that little connective word, and. You think things are popping pretty quick in the Gospel of Mark? He moves from one event to the other. Jesus is on His feet 24-7 evidently because things just keep happening. He moves from one thing to the other. He's a servant. But we also see in here as we, as we learned last time, as Jared, I think, spoke to you last time on his baptism and he talked about that the two main things that he, in which he talked about was that his baptism identified Christ, who he was. And it, and it talks of his power. You know, we need that, that baptism today. We need a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need, to, we need a fresh filling and he talked about the importance for us to be baptized. Not only his baptism, he didn't need to be baptized as Jared brought out. His baptism meant that he was identifying with us. He was identifying with sinners. He condescended, left his throne in glory, came down here to this sin-cursed earth, became as one of us. Even though he didn't sin, praise God. He was tempted in all things just like we are, yet no sin in his life. That is great. That's good news right there. Because if we'd have had a, a sinner go to the cross for us, his death meant nothing. But because he knew no sin, his death meant everything. He killed sin for us. 
Thank God for that. And so that ought to give us hope that we can be greatly used of God ourselves. My baptism is, is that the old me is dying and the new me is raised in the likeness of Christ Himself. Folks, that's power. Because the old me couldn't fix me. Only the Lord Jesus can fix me. So, now we've come to verse 12. We're going to pick up in verse 12 of Mark chapter 1. I'm going to be addressing uh, verses just just uh, four short verses, 12 through 15 this morning. And, um, you know, I, I, I was, as I was reading and studying for this, uh, this morning, those, in those first 15 verses alone, <laughs> in, first Mar- in Mark chapter 1, and is the first word in nine verses out of the 15. Did you think about that? And, 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 and. And these two things that we're going to be discussing, these two main points that we're going to be discussing this morning, don't really seem to have a lot in common, but they do. And I think we'll see that as we get further on down the road. So let's read our text together. Mark chapter 1, verse 12. It says, And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord God, open our hearts, our minds. Lord, may we just continue to worship you in spirit and in truth. God, cause all the distractions and the wool gathering of our mind and heart to be done away with this morning. And may we just focus on you and you alone. May we see you as you are, high and lifted up, exalted. May we worship you this morning in spirit and in truth, and may we leave here resolved that even though all hell rages against us outside these doors, we are in you, and you in us, and we have nothing to fear. So God, give us a a spirit of discernment, Give us a spirit of courage, and may you be glorified in us this morning, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two main thoughts in these little short verses this morning. The first one is, this is His initiation. This is Jesus' initiation into His God-given ministry. You know, the Father had something for Him to do. Now last week, we, it, it was his baptism, and that was his identification. That was God separating him and saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my stamp of authenticity on what he's about to do. But no one can do a great work, not even 
God in human flesh, not even the only begotten Son, could not do what He did for us at Calvary, rise from the dead without being tested, without being prepared. This was His... This was his preparation for what he was about to do. Because you see what Mark tells us? He, t- he says it differently than the other gospel writers. He said, and immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. This was, in other words, my first thought on this initiation of his into his ministry, this is a necessary step. You can't get around this. And I want to tell you, child of God, your your devotion to the Lord, your, your giving back, your sacrifice of yourself to Almighty God will go no further than you allowing God to put you into the wilderness. To put you in the fire. To have your faith tempered. To have your faith tested. That's what's wrong with American Christianity today. We've got a bunch of people who have never really had to respond to much of anything. For the last, what, 200 years? How easy has it been to become a Christian in America? We walk down here. We're surrounded by friends and family, people that care about us, people that love us. For the most part, people that think the same way we do, have the same opinion on most major things. Now, nobody gets along all the time. Amen. But we're pretty well like-minded. We come down here, we take the preacher by the hand, we pray, we ask God to come into our lives. We're baptized in the waters. We, we become a member of the church. We can vote. We can, we can have our say. We can, we can talk and discuss. But there's not, a, there's not a soldier waiting out there to blow our heads off when we go outside those doors, is there? In India where we minister, if you're baptized in the name of Jesus, there may be somebody waiting on shore to chop your head off with a sword. I heard a report a few months back over in the area where we used to go. There was a pastor just walking down the road. They found him decapitated. That's a little different, isn't it? You see the, you see the difference? And they tell those people before they ever enter those baptismal waters, whatever it is, pond, ditch, Whatever it is, they tell them, you're dying today with Christ. You may live 50 more years, but you're dying with Christ today. Death awaits you. It's here. It's not, a, it's not an optional thing. It's a necessity that we go into the wilderness. And it's a solitary way. No one can do it for me. No one can do it for you. No one could do it for Jesus. You know, Jesus could have appointed someone, Gabriel. He could have appointed an angel and said, you know what? Go do this for me. (laughs) And that angel would have done it. No, it had to be him. 
Have you ever felt alone in a room full of people? Sometimes we do, don't we? Honestly. We just do. Why is that? Well, you can say, well, nobody loves me. A lot of times that's just not true, is it? But we feel that way, don't we? Sometimes we feel like, well, I'm the only one that's ever experienced this. But you're not. We all have. We all have things that burden us, that, that weigh us down. We all have obstacles in our life that we don't think we can get around, that sometimes the devil will trick us into thinking this is hopeless. And you just need to give up. It was a solitary way. The Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. He's out there, he's out there, Mark says, with the, with the wild beast and the angels. So, he was alone, but he wasn't alone, amen? Right? And isn't that true for all of us? Even when we think we're alone, we're not alone. You know, I got to thinking about this passage of Scripture and never really thought of it in this aspect before he was with the wild why, why did Mark say why did Mark write that down who cares you know right he was with the animals he's out in the wilderness he's out in the woods you'd think there'd be some wild animals out there but unlike you and I there may be bears out there <laughs> there may be lions out there there may do you think Jesus was huddled around a little fire at night going, boy, I hope a bear don't get me? I think they were coming to Him. Lord, you need me to keep you warm tonight? I can see Jesus snuggled up to a bear. Thank you, bear. Go on about your business, brother. You see, we're never alone. When we got Jesus on our side, even when you're in the middle of the greatest trial of your life, and you think you're alone, even the wild beast and the angels will come and minister to you. What, do you. what do you need that Christ doesn't provide for us? Nothing. But it is necessary that you go through it. You, that, that's not optional. But I'll tell you something else that this initiation process did for Jesus. It, it gave him patience for the days ahead. Not that Jesus is imperfect or that he... But I'm talking about in his humanity. Do, do you need help with patience sometimes? <laughs> My wife and I really need a lot of help sometimes. Both of us. And our children learned that from us as well. They got that impatience from us as well. That, we didn't come here with that, did we? With patience. And yet, here's the, here's the part that rubs. The only way to gain patience is to go through trials and give it to God. That's the only way you gain pay. It's just not a virtue that comes to you by osmosis. You can't pray for the gift of patience. It ain't out there. 
You gain patience by practicing. Amen? It says he was there 40 days. Now, I know you've had good pastors. I know you've had sound theological teaching. Most of y'all could stand up here and preach this morning, if I'm being quite honest. But you know what that number 40 represents most of the time when you see it in the Scriptures? It, it, it's about judgment. It's about a probation period. It's, it's, a, it's a trial. It's a... It's a test. So basically Jesus had a 40-day test. This wasn't one you just sat down in a couple of hours and I'm glad that's over. Let's go get a burger. 40 days. In the wilderness, no food. The Bible doesn't say He was thirsty at the end of 40 days. It just said He was hungry. Amen? Okay, but it does take patience. It did teach him something that things don't just happen overnight. You know the way to ruin a preacher is for him to get instantaneous fame and everybody to pour on the accolades and man, you're so good. If you don't watch it, he'll be fallen. And usually it's something moral. A lot of times, but I remember my first pastorate, and you don't know where it is, so I can speak freely. I'm not going to name names, but it was a meat grinder. And after I left that place and God delivered me from it, hallelujah, I look back on it now and I thank God for that time because that humbled me. God taught me so many things in that crucible. And I'll never forget the lessons I learned there. And there were people there that did love us. They were just in the minority. But I thank God for all of them. Good, bad, and ugly because that was my probation period. God was saying, Jeff, do you really want to get into this ministry? Or is this just something that is about you. And I had to step back and say, God, you're in charge. No matter what you put me in, I'm here. And I thank God for every lesson along the way. But another thing, and this is a sweet thing, it's a celestial way. You think we're talking about wilderness experiences and being hungry that's just the part of it. That's just part of it. This was all about him being prepared spiritually to become the sin sacrifice for the whole world. The angels were with him. They ministered unto him. All along the way, you and I have come to believe in America that it's all about what we do. What kind of resources do we have? How much money is it going to take? God doesn't need our money and He doesn't need our resources. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills they stand on. And when you're in the midst of a struggle, He can send an angel to you in an instant to be there by your side and you can feel the very presence of God in your life. 
because we don't walk a worldly course. We walk a celestial course. We walk a heavenly highway. Even though we're pilgrims down here, amen, we're walking that heavenly highway that we sing about, right? We've got a reason in the midst of these evil times to praise God and have joy in our hearts. And I think Jesus was down there just having a good time even though it was tough. I think He and the Father and the Holy Spirit were just having them a spell together because He knew what was coming and He passed every test and He gave His Father the glory. Thy will be done, Lord, in my life. So, that was His initiation process, but verses 14 and 15 talk about His proclamation now. He's been initiated, he's been baptized, he's been initiated, he went through the probation period, if you will. He went through his severe trial of testing. He came out on the other side, he was the winner, Satan couldn't budge him. And now we get to his proclamation. It says here in verse 14, now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now that's an interesting statement. Jesus knew exactly when to step out on the stage. The Bible says that Jesus' ministry and life here on this earth was a well-prophesied ministry. This was been prophesied beforehand. In other words, God told man there's one coming. Everybody thought Abraham might be the man. No. Everybody thought Noah might be the man. No. Moses? No. As good as Moses was? No. All these people down through, all these faithful men and women that God used, was it, could this be him? No. No. And then along comes John, this wild, crazy man, uh, didn't wear an Armani suit and didn't have a Rolex watch. The Bible says he had a camel's hair outer garment on and a leather belt. And what was he eating? Locust and wild honey. Now, you say, man, I don't know about a man eating bugs. Well, I had somebody explain that part to me one day, and it, it makes sense. Now, he may have eaten locusts because it says over in the Old Testament they were allowed to eat locusts. They were allowed to eat those things if they had to. So he could have literally been eating bugs. But I would rather believe there's a locust tree over there like some of the trees that we have here. And they make a pod, they make some beans... And they said the common folk would go out there and pick those locust beans off those trees. And Hey, a, a bean eater. I'm a bean eater myself. Amen. But you see, all down through the line, all down through the, the ages, these men and women would come and they were just laying the groundwork. And finally John arrives and what does he do? He's preaching over here in verse 3 of, of Mark. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. See, John was a forerunner for Jesus. And you know what a forerunner is? Someone who make, paves the way and makes announcements all along his journey. The king is coming. The king is coming. The king is coming. God told us exactly what He was going to do. Aren't you thankful for your Bible? Aren't you thankful that God didn't just spring all this stuff on us? That He told us beforehand that these things were coming. Thank God for how, he, how good He is. So it was a prophesied way. And by the way, verses, um, uh, verses uh, 2 and 3 are kind of a blend of Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 40 verse 3. Now, and, and I'm not going to get off into this, but just FYI, all of the modern English versions of the Bible out there, I think most of them say in verse 2 as it, uh, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, that's not completely true because this is a blend of Malachi and Isaiah. It says in this old book, the old King James, it says, as it is written in the prophets. Just thought I'd throw that in there just for your interest. You dig into the... Hey, you dig into this stuff. Find out for yourself. It's important. It's not that it doesn't mean anything. It does. It means a lot. So... Anyway, that's all for free. Let's get back to our text. It was a prophesied way. It was a prepared way. John laid it out. He laid the road. He paved the highway and along comes Jesus. The Father laid it out for the Son to walk in loving obedience to Him. It was also a powerful message. He said, what is he preaching? What is he preaching? What is he proclaiming? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. You know what, folks? That kingdom of God means that God rules and reigns in the entire universe. That He reigns over mankind that He is the one that's in charge. Man thinks He's in charge right now. The kingdoms of this world are setting themselves up to fight against God and His people. As we sit here this morning, and they think they're in charge, they think they've won, but they haven't. They are shutting down free speech in the United States of America, the last place for it. But you know what? They cannot stop this mouth from proclaiming the goodness of God. God's in charge. They can kill me. They can drag my carcass out in the middle of the road and run over me with a tank. But my God is alive and well. And I will live for all of eternity. Because God's in charge. And that message that he's proclaiming, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent. You know, well, you know what that means? That's power. 
He can change my life. I can't change my own life, but He can change my life if I'll give it to Him. Now friends, that's power. To change and transform a life completely. Give us a new nature. Give us a new desire. That's all God. I had nothing to do with that. He did that work in me, brother. He did that life-changing work in me. It's a powerful message, but it's also an urgent message because this gospel that Jesus is speaking of is twofold, really. He's speaking this to the Jews. Remember, the gospel comes to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, right? And so literally what he is saying, your Messiah is here. The time is at hand. You better recognize me and in spite of we crucified him, yes, thank God that us Gentiles had that opportunity to believe, but there were some Jews that believed on him. You see, the kingdom of God in their day was at hand. In other words, it's an urgent message. And I think we've forgotten that in the church of the living God today. That we just don't have time to play. We don't have time to sit back and say, it might offend somebody. Hey look, everybody wants to be offended nowadays in America anyway. Go ahead and offend them. If they don't like it, just tell them to build a bridge and get over it. Amen. They need to know the truth that we don't have forever. I could be dead before I come back here again. We live in a dangerous world. Amen. And we live, we live in a world that needs a response necessitates a response to this gospel that Jesus was proclaiming. You can't get around it. I've heard people say, well, you know, you know, preacher, I, I, I'm not against him, but I don't, I don't really get into all this church stuff. And I, you know, I don't see it the way you do. I can take it or leave it. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. You're either gathering with me or you're spreading abroad, but you can't be doing both. And even if you don't articulate it with your mouth, your very rejection of Him is your answer. We don't get that. We don't, we don't get that opportunity to sit in the middle and be in the safe zone. We've got a response to make. You say, well, preacher, I've already done that. Hallelujah. But what about His will being done in my life? Am I still submitting to that every day or have I kind of slacked up and I'm just kind of floating along doing my thing, not trying to get into any trouble, hoping everything will pass me by? Friends, we live at a time now where you got to get out on the battlefield. You got to make a choice every day about living your life out loud for Jesus because this world is going literally to hell. 
Do you know that right now there are still millions of people on our planet that have never heard the name of Jesus one time, not, don't know who He is, and we sit here week after week digesting the good things of God, living in our comfort and our ease, and we won't even tell our own neighbors about how good God is because we don't want to offend anybody. What a sad state of affairs Satan has allowed us to believe. Where he's fooled us into silence. Bullied us into silence because we don't want to be termed a, a, some kind of extremist or something like that. Let the world think whatever they want to think. I know what God thinks about me. And I know what He thinks about you. We're the cream of the crop. So don't sit around. Now's not the time to sit. This is a crucible. What's coming in the days and weeks ahead is going to be nothing the American church has ever seen. I believe that with all of my heart. But it's as tough as it's going to be. All it's going to do is polish gold and pave the way for our Savior to come one day in His glory. And we're going to be right there beside Him. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, thank You for what You did for us. Thank You that You came. Thank You that You went through this process you became sin for us you you died in our place you were tempted in all things like we are but you came out on the other side proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom god help us to not be silent in these days ahead but lord as we go through the fire as we're tested as we're uh, placed on this trial that God, that we'll give you the glory. That we'll stand and sing with joy in our hearts. That we'll let the world know that there's something within us that they're missing desperately. That they need a Savior and that this message is urgent. This message is a powerful message that can change anyone. But that it demands a response. So God, have your way in this church. Have your way in my life. Have your way with every individual that hear, hears this this morning. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.